You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Christopher Media, let's make some noise. Jaký vlastně budu říkat? Natálie? Nebo Eulálie? To je moc dlouhé a život je tak krátký. Už to mám. Julie, Julie. Připadal jsem si jako stvořitel, jako Bůh. A tehdy jsem se rozhodl pro celý život. Budu řezníkem. Krásná. A já jsem poznal, že ji miluji. Welcome to the projection booth. I'm your host, Mike White. Joining me once again is Ms. Kat Ellinger. Hello, I'm glad to be back so soon. Also back with me today is Mr. Ben Buckingham. Hello, everyone. We are wrapping up our first Czech Timber series with a film from director Oldrich Lipsky, 1967's Happy End. The film is something of an experimental comedy, which is as unusual as that sounds. The film runs scenes in opposite order and runs motion backwards from the end of our main character's life when he gives voiceover from the account of his birth to the death. Of course, this provides us with constant ironic juxtapositions. The film was co-written by Lipsky and Milos Makarek, the screenwriter behind some of the best comedies out of Czechoslovakia during the 60s, 70s, 80s, and beyond. We're going to be getting into spoilers on this episode. That is, we'll be talking about the beginning of the film. So if you don't want anything ruined, go ahead and track down a copy of Happy End and come back. We will still be here. Now, Kat, had you seen Happy End before I invited you to be on this episode? No, which is... Shame on me because I'm I'm like quite a fan of Lipsky and I've seen quite a few of his other films, later films, but also it stars um, Vladimir Menchik, who I bloody love. He's like this guy who just pops up in like literally every Czech comedy. No, I hadn't seen it, so I'm glad you invited me on because it gave me the push to actually check it out. Check it out. Check it out. I yeah. God. <laughs> so what do you think when you when you finally checked it out? Do you know, I think it's his funniest comedy. It's a riot. I, I, it was an absolute delight. Absolute delight. And Ben, had you seen this one before? I hadn't. This is my first lip skiing. I've managed to see half of Lemonade Joe last night before I just like crashed out at 3 a.m. Just couldn't stay awake. Yeah, I, the half of Lemonade Joe I was digging and loving a lot, but I would definitely say, yeah, I was... It was slightly insane laughter, but this definitely had me cackling. I I have it was totally fresh to me, and it felt totally fresh. I'm so glad that uh, I got to see this and have this totally weird, surreal experience with this film with you guys. (laughs) I have to admit that after I watched this movie, I then put out another movie, and. I was so used to watching things backwards that I was expecting the next scene to be the scene previous. I was just like, what the hell's going on? 
<laughs> yeah, I, I had a kind of quiet afternoon and I think I like I just went and did cleaning afterwards because I was just like my brain can't actually do anything now. So I'm just going to start organizing things on my desk because that's all I'm capable of. It was just kind of like I felt like I'd done a gymnastics workout for my brain for the last 70 minutes. I think once you get into it, though, that whole backwards thing, you it's like reading um, manga, you know? You just, once you get into the flow, because the pages go back to front, so once mm. you get into the flow, you just it just seems completely normal after about 10 minutes, but very difficult to describe to anyone else. So I was trying to talk to Michael Brook about it earlier and just thought, God, why have I agreed to come on this episode? Because I'm going to have to come out in public. <laughs> I, I, I feel this. like that, this is definitely the apex of that difficult to describe to somebody. But as I've been, I've been watching a great deal of Czech and Slovak films recently, and I've actually had that problem just generally a lot because the kind of the bits that stood out most for me from all of these films, even if they were fairly mainstream or even new ones, were the bits that were like this film where it's just like that the, the boundaries of all things just break apart and it starts overlapping genres and styles and everything. And I feel like they just, the Czech and the Slovaks just do that so wonderfully. And this is like the, I don't know, the, the speedball cocaine hit version of that. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't take breaks. This movie just, it starts and it, goes man and you better hang on for the ride and if you're not paying attention at one point you're just you're lost i mean it's it's amazing so i kind of said it at the beginning but i want to say it again so the film runs backwards like literally runs backwards but yet the lines are said forwards so like the actions go backwards but then when our characters speak for the most part, they are saying their lines forwards, but every once in a while, they'll start speaking backwards. It seems to be whenever it's stuff that we just shouldn't really care about, like legal gobbledygook or like a toast to a, a dead woman at one point. It just the, – the dialogue runs backwards, so there's no translations for it. It just says audio is backwards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. <clears throat> yes, this this film is quite hard to find, and uh, the the fan subs that are out there didn't exactly help. The uh, they were definitely part of the gymnastics as well. <laughs> Did you have the ones with the green type font? Oh no, mine were white. I think mine were green, but they they were they were some of them didn't really make much sense. But then others were obviously written in British slang, which added a great other what? dimension that's, to that's it. Just... I, I just actually came just then from a Hungarian film called The Fifth Seal um, by uh, Fabri Zoltan, I think it is. And the, the subtitles were very well done, but they were very dense. And I think that it was because they were literally translating the, the, the Hungarian kind of sayings and terminologies. And so it was very much like the experience of Happy Ending where you're trying to, like, unpick these sentences instead of them just kind of easily slipping into your brain. And I think that's like Happy Ending is like that. It's that even if the subtitles were great, I think you would still have that. There's, like, every single part of it, yeah, you do have to kind of, like, start shifting your brain into different directions to sort of unpick and process and put everything together. Well, Kat, I'm curious, did yours at the at the end of the film, a.k.a. the beginning of the film, when there's that title card before the action starts, was that translated for you? Because I actually had to go to a Czech friend of mine and say, what does this mean? 
I can't remember now. No, I think it was. I'll have, I'll have to have a check. I think it was. Yeah, it was all it was all subbed, but um, yeah, some of the subs were a bit random. It, I don't know if they were done by two people, a Czech person who was writing in English, and then somebody who, who wrote in English, because they seem to go between slang terms and sort of casual British English, and then um, and then this strange sort of not making sense English and weird and all, on top of that odd words ha- were just in weird symbols just <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, actually been translated properly I remember uh, years ago seeing a copy of Frontiers that had fan subs and there's a bit where the, the German characters are speaking German and there were no subtitles and I just sort of assumed that it was, you know, that there were no subtitles. And then it got to the end of the film with a big dramatic ending and just before, like, it goes to black, it popped up on screen and said, sorry, I do not speak German. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, beautiful, beautiful. I remember that moment more than anything in the rest of the film. <laughs> I, I was watching the uh, uh, the Czech version of The Little Mermaid because we're doing a episode of Corky Dunsingu, and I wanted to see how the Czech version of uh, oh, The Little Mermaid I story. Love that film, I love the well, I love the lure, but I also love the Czech Little Mermaid. It's so dark. Oh yeah. Well, there's a great part when it's our main mermaid, and then she's meeting the the new bride of the prince, and in the fan subs it said. These two actresses are actually sisters. <laughs> <laughs> they were as well. Yeah, yeah. But I was like, thank you, subtitle. Nice bit of trivia. I appreciate that. Yes, it's the pop-up video version of it. Well, yeah, there's a motto at the beginning, and it, it wasn't translated on mine, so I went to a friend, and I said, what is this? And basically it translates to, you've made your bed, so now you must lie in it. So I'm like, okay, well, that's kind of neat, because then we start with, like, the, our main character in the casket <laughs> with a head a decapitated yeah. head what an opening that is just yeah. so good i, I feel um, like that is so, so such a perfect way to start the film as well that it's like because i remember years ago having to write like at my, at my high school exam and having to write on albert camus the outsider and writing about how like the guillotine represented such finality because it always worked and if it didn't work, they just rolled it back up again and it worked the second time. It was so rare for it to jam. So if you ended up on the guillotine, that's it. And so seeing that image of the head rolling back up and the guillotine going up and him joining back together and all that kind of thing, started, just like it immediately tells you what is going on with the way this film is flowing. It's like everything is going to get undone. I did want to say before we get right into it, this is got. I haven't seen a lot of his early films, but from the later ones, this is a really short film for Lipsky. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah, short. What, 69, 70 minutes, something like yeah, that? Yeah, I was check. I had to check it when I got the file because I thought, bloody hell, that can't be right. Maybe some of it's yeah. missing. Because they usually border on one hour 45 minutes, although I couldn't have handled one hour 45 minutes oh, of that. It, it's, it doesn't <laughs> feel like a 70-minute film, and not in a bad way. It just, yeah, like you said earlier, Mike, it just, there's so much packed in that it's just like, well, yeah, okay, I'm ready to get off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm wondering if, I don't know, I don't know if there's missing bits, because I know that when I helped do some uh, subtitling work on the the fan subs for uh, uh, Adele hasn't had her supper. 
um, or Dinner for Adele. And I remember uh, actually finding two f- different versions of that movie. There was one where it had a couple extra scenes to it and they just weren't subtitled at all because the fan subs that existed already were for the shorter version so then luckily i got to work with some people and say like okay what does this line mean what does this line mean and was able to piece together those missing bits and put out the fuller version of it but yeah it was kind of weird because there's a version floating around I don't know how this one came to be. It might have been that British TV version. And then there's another one that was uh, off of the DVD that had a little bit more to it. I mean, maybe five, ten minutes. But, yeah, I'm, I'm curious if maybe there's a longer version of Happy End out there. It did seem to work, though. So I, I, I just think that because of the pacing, the pacing is insane. I think if it had it been any longer... It it wouldn't have worked. It works because it's so quick, and you're left at yeah. the end thinking, "Whoa!" <laughs> you well, know, it worked to, for me, and it also didn't work for me because we have at the very beginning we're hearing his life story from birth to death as we are watching from death to birth, basically. And there's a lot of things that he's talking about in voiceover that we don't necessarily see at the end of the film that you would think we would get, like. There's a great part because our our main character is executed at the end of the film. And then we get to see him in jail before he's executed. And as he's in jail, he starts talking about how he was in this you know, school with all these boys and they separated the boys from the girls. And we did all these, you know, fun gymnastics and all this stuff as we're seeing the prisoners being worked out. And so we never actually get to see him with the little kids and then with a voiceover talking about the prisoners, you know, because I thought there would be a mirror of this film where he's talking about one thing at the beginning of his life. And then we would see the beginning of his life later on. But the beginning of his life goes like that. Once we get to a certain point, your brain is trying to make too much sense of this film. by expecting that. <laughs> I, yeah, you, you kind of, yeah, we, we kind of trained to like to, to, to find a way to process it. And I remember I was thinking a lot about time crimes while watching it because I think that that's the film that I think it is most like, even though they're quite drastically different, obviously, in every way. But I remember hearing an episode of Night of the Living podcast and one of the guys on that just could not get over the, the him holding up his fingers for binoculars in time crimes and how that, like, made no sense. There was no way to explain it. There was nothing in the film that made a reason of why he would be doing that. And I kind of thinking about it at the time, my, 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 my explanation was the time crimes is – less of film and more of a thought experiment to show the illusion of narrative. It breaks all of the narrative apart so that our idea of cause and effect and reason is just a complete artificial construct that actually has no meaning and is something that we have to bring ourselves. And I feel like this this was doing that to an even more extreme way of just showing that, you know, that that our narrative and cause and effect, we can we can actually force a pattern onto anything and everything. And so the film is almost kind of like fighting with you to refuse your attempts to put a pattern onto it. <laughs> I Yeah, I can glorious. totally see that. that is it's just so glorious. glorious. I love it. When the executioner cuts the cord for the guillotine, the main character is talking about 
that they cut the it was basically the cutting of the umbilical cord is at, happens at the same moment like in voiceover the cutting of the umbilical cord happens at the same moment of the cutting of the cord of the guillotine it is so wonderful and then you get these great juxtapositions when he's getting his final cigarette and the priest says to him, you'll meet the Lord in the nick of time. And then he goes, that's disgusting. And you're talking about the cigarette? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the juxtaposition of the reverse sentences is just genius. It's, oh. I, 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 I want to know. I, I, it, I'm, I'm normally, I'm not a big fan of behind the scenes, and I don't listen to many commentaries these days, but I would just love to know how long it took them to write this. It's like, I, I feel like once they'd written it, it's there. They could, it's then relatively easy to construct, but the actual writing process would have just been like mind boggling. <laughs> well, the design on it is amazing because when it runs, when they run backwards, they've got these lines like that's disgusting. So they, it's like the whole thing's been written backwards. I'd love to know how they did that. Cause it's perfect. It's it, all the way through. It just doesn't miss a, beat on that it's just so good when you run them back you then find yourself running the conversation in logical order back in Mm. your head to see what they did yeah you reach a point where you are with the movie so much that you're just reading things backwards as the scenes progress like there's a, a wonderful scene and i know i'm jumping ahead quite a bit here but there's a wonderful scene at a dinner table and the camera is rotating around from character to character to character throughout almost the entire thing and just each one gets a line and then the next one gets a line or in this case the previous one gets a line and yeah just the way that that conversation is built is just amazing like is there something you wanted to say yeah i'd like some rum and it's like what And yet it's still like, even as it sort of feels like it's pulling the whole conversation apart, you get the sense of the the, the fear and panic in that scene as he's getting having to deal with these quite uh, 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 difficult things that are going on in his life. Well, public gatherings for Lipsky and his, a lot of his comedies are always these kind of ridiculous farce situations where everyone's really stressed. So this is kind of like the this on steroids because all of his comedies are complete. They're not as surreal, narratively speaking, but they're always really madcap and really just farcical. But this just takes it to the extreme, which was brilliant to see. Yeah, the, uh, the, the, the scene where immediately after he's sort of exited from prison and he they that they are then going to give you a wife and you have to put it together and and it, that oh. it's, it's <laughs> such a like you're already kind of displaced and suddenly it becomes a scene which you're like wait a minute this is really horrific and yet not <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it just like it I feel like the film is kind of stressful itself not because not just because but there's a lot of stressful things in it for this main character but also because you're 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 trying to process these like discordant kind of experiences of like you know more than any other black comedy i felt like i was i i I felt like i should not be roaring with laughter as much as i was as he's cutting his (laughs) wife back together but and i when i was trying to google some information about it it popped up as like clips of it on youtube and it was like gory check film and i'm like (laughs) I guess, yeah, yeah, that is horrific, but I was laughing too much to notice. (laughs) 
That was the bit, though, when, because that's kind of like five, ten minutes in, that was the bit when I suddenly clicked and thought, ah, I see what game we're playing here. <laughs> when he starts <laughs> assembling the wife and saying, oh, they gave me this wife in this suitcase and I just have to put her together. That's I just thought, oh, my God, this is just so good. But it suddenly, that's because I was confused for about five minutes. I kind of knew what was going on, but that was when I got into the vibe when he puts the wife back together. Which is great after all sawn up body parts and stuff. Oh, so, but the so, bit that so. follows when you find out why she's been murdered um, is with the lover who's been, you know, the way. <laughs> so the way it's phrased, I think, was the funniest part for me. He's he's obviously killed her because he's caught her with another man, who he's pushed out the window. But you get it back to front, so you get this scene where he turns up. And he's outside and she's trying to hide the lever and it's all going backwards and it looks like they're doing this crazy dance. And then he he's obviously been thrown out the window, but he jumps back in. So the main character describes him as rudely flying in because he <laughs> believes this woman was made for him. <laughs> it's like I just thought this just oh yeah, and you get the you get such a deflation of catharsis as well because normally you have the build up of towards the violence and the revenge and all this, and instead it's like oh I'm still stuck with him. It's like <laughs> you can't get away from the wife, you can't get away from love. They keep returning as they're being introduced into the world, but it's when they're exiting and you're just like, what? I, oh god, I don't know. <laughs> I, I've just I've been I've been working nights. I've been finishing up work at like six a.m. and I've been juggling a film festival. And I've just like barely slept. And I sat down to watch this at like three o'clock in the afternoon. And every last little remnant of the sense of time in me died. I just like that's it. I'm broken. I'm out. I, you know, it could be twenty twenty seven, and God knows what time right now, and I would have no idea anymore. <laughs> and I felt like I felt like the character was definitely lost in that as well. This movie. I mean, I talked about how the Lord will save you, and that's disgusting. I mean, or you'll see the Lord. And I mean, this movie. It's so subversive in its humor, and I. Lo- I mean, this. We talked uh, last week on the show about the cremator and saying like this could only be made before you know the Prague Spring really took effect that the the communists really took back over, and this is kind of the same way this 1967 and just the way that he's like when he's still in prison and he's looking around and he's talking about all the other boys in his school quote unquote and he's just talking about how eventually they'll grow up to be you know tomorrow's generals and ministers but here he is with this voiceover looking at all these other prisoners and he's just like i thought there had to be generals and ministers among us and i'm like oh that's great yeah <laughs> yeah a lot of those, those slide digs just sort of not too subtly hidden in there. <laughs> you do find you do find though even in the later comedies Lipsky's comedy says always this macabre or morbid element, like a lot of these fast comedies. And I know we're going to talk about the writer later on, but things like uh, You Were a Widow, Sir, and um, I Killed Einstein and things like that. The plot always centers on someone trying to kill someone else. Or, so they are really macabre. Their humour is very, very black and macabre anyway, although they got a little less subversive as they went on, just went into this gloriously silly thing. Or, or um, Adele hasn't had her dinner. It's very or dark even, and gruesome. So, 
even though I only saw the first half of Lemonade Joe, even that where it's very much setting up, well, here's the bad guys who are your traditional villains, but they're bad because they're selling alcohol. Whereas, like, the hero's like, oh, I only drink lemonade, which helps me kill people better. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like a good, pious Christian woman is like, oh, he's so fabulous because he can shoot straighter than everybody else. And it's that same thing. we're talking about the the dialogue going backwards like when he's at his trial and the lawyer's like well who put the corpse there and then the the next line is the judge maybe and i was like <laughs> <laughs> i mean i'm i'm laughing out loud at this movie which doesn't happen very often but yeah and then when it comes to him putting the corpse back together uh oh my god yeah i was laughing hysterically at this part because it is just it's so morbid and so wonderful and him talking about the body parts as he's cutting them apart or or in this case putting them back together and that he is talking about how when he you know is a young man how he decides he wants to be a butcher and it just fits so well with everything and i mean because it's one thing to have the motion backwards to have the plot backwards but then to have this counterpoint of that voiceover is just man it is brilliant Mm, yeah it is brilliantly handled and then the other performance by vladimir mensik is is just phenomenal he's just like all of that, that humor and the and the horror of it and everything, and the way he's just like his his eyebrows and his like mouth and just moves so fluidly that it goes with all the kind of motions and just keeps the whole emotional drive of the film running as well and keeps you linked in with it. It's 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 a really remarkable performance. Well, I le- I love him as I said before. He's in so many uh, Czech films, especially Czech comedy films. Like he's in the Cremator. Um, he's in Who Wants to Kill Jesse. Some of the earlier ones, he's got smaller roles, but then in the seventies, he started to take bigger roles. But he's, I was trying to think of a kind of uh, Western or English equivalent, and I can't really think of one. But he's one of these familiar faces that he pops up in Czech Slovak film, and you think, oh my God, it's him. He's just so familiar but then Lipsky used a lot of the same people anyway and you see these same faces come up but he's he's one that just stands out Vladimir I just I love him he's great in everything he does and he's all he's always got these ridiculous roles like here but he plays them completely straight he's just so good yeah I agree I, I I'm trying to remember the first time I ever saw the guy but yeah it was one of those like oh it's that guy again yeah he's one of those isn't he it's like oh it's it, yeah, it's him. Well, it's like a great character actor who finally gets a starring role. You know, th- this is this is his uh, not his trees lounge, but this is up there. You know, he's 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 not quite a Buscemi, but uh, he's there as far as like just popping into roles here and there, and then suddenly every once in a while he'll get a full starring role and this is this really shows just how great his range is i love him in the girl on the broomstick actually he plays the kind of this like i don't know how you describe him like kind of a vampire character who's in charge of this wizard school and he's got silly teeth in that But he's just great. He is just so good. So seeing him there, I was like, shame on me for not seeing this because I do make a point of if his name's in the cast, I'll 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 watch the film because I just know it's going to be good. He was in a movie from '68 called Marathon or Marathon, and I'm still trying to find subtitles for that one because it's a uh, army comedy, and I'm sure it's 
fairly subversive as well. And even just looking for it, I found it in full on YouTube. And the first scene I saw, he was in it. I was like, okay, good. I need to see this whole film. But I can't really watch these without subtitles. I mean, because there are too many good jokes that happen in the subtitles. In um in the cremator was he the the crazy couple that kept popping up and interrupting everything? Was that him? Yes. Yeah. I just saw we've uh, we've got the Czech and Slovak Film Festival going at the moment, which I'm involved in, and we just screened the cremator on Wednesday night, so it's fresh in my mind. But I was like, wait, who was he in it? And then I was like, oh, oh, of course, because yeah, it it, it feels very it feels like he might have fallen sideways out a happy end into the cremator. <laughs> <laughs> When I think of movies told backwards, I tend to think of mysteries or films where we want to see how things got to be the way that they are. Things like Memento or Irreversible. And this one, you think you know exactly how things are going to go because of that voiceover. And it's it feels like, okay, yeah, I, I can tell you everything that's going to happen. And I'm kind of wondering, like I mentioned earlier, what's the counterpoint to this? Like, are we going to see him, quote-unquote, assembling his wife at some point? Are we going to see uh, the cow that he's probably talking about when he's talking about... the? <laughs> we see the little girl who's drinking all this milk, and he's talking about what it sounds like he's talking about a cow and how the cow gives so many liters of milk but it seems like the little girl is giving so many liters of milk a day <laughs> oh, and the, yeah the, the the stealing the fish from the seal at the zoo <laughs> and stealing loaves of bread from the hippo because they'd like obviously if it was forward he'd be throwing the fish to them and instead the seals are regurgitating Putting the fish up bag. to them and he's just like, he's talking about the, the man who's cheating with his wife. And he's just like, I can't believe, you know, he's stealing all this food from these poor animals. That's <laughs> <laughs> just like, this guy just becomes a, a worse and worse human being because of it going backwards. It's, oh, beautiful. <laughs> what I loved was the fact that, so when the wife has been murdered, she's put back together. So she's she's born. And when people have died, he describes them as being born. And when people are born, they actually die, if that makes sense. So first of all, he gets back to his flat and he's like, oh, there appears to be this kid now in my family. Uh, (laughs) It's like, and then as the kid grows, the kid is going backwards, so it's getting younger. So its birth is actually its death. But then the other side of that is, uh, then he also saves uh, Birdie the guy who's cheating with his wife but it becomes a murder because he drags him out of the sea and resuscitates and so it happens back to front and he's like well i didn't really want to do a murder in such a public place but everyone seemed really happy because everyone's on the beach clapping because <laughs> he's putting him back in the sea and it looks like he's drowning him oh and the father-in-law as well they're like when the little girl disappears behind the screen so she's supposed to have died because they're like the baby's getting smaller and oh you know the end had come but it was okay because the father-in-law's about to be born and they bring his casket up and then like he's waiting to be hatched and he's got this wonderful ornate package this coffin so they're waiting for the father-in-law to be born it's just so crazy uh, yeah then, <laughs> and then attempting to murder his wife by uh shoving a fishbone into her throat <laughs> And the bit when he's like, he's he got the scissors and like and the tweezers and all these things that he and then I just use my finger because it's a much more delicate tool to try and shove it down in there. <laughs> 
we've got all this stuff. Like I said, we think we know where the story's going, but then it continually surprises us because there's the introduction of the one character, is it Angenska, uh, later on, uh, and it's like, well, who is this woman? And I totally did not expect her to show up at all. And we just kind of see her dressing windows at one point. And then it makes a little bit more sense that we have a mannequin theme that happens because she seems to be a window dresser and she's got all these mannequins. So they, we at one point visit his house with where apparently he was living with this woman. And so that was great that we're able to be surprised in this film, or at least I was able to be surprised because I thought that I knew the whole story because of that voiceover. But I, I don't know what I've been watching lately to make me think this, but I thought it was going to be his mother and it was going to be some really weird mother stuff coming because <laughs> he looks very matronly and motherly. And I just, yeah, I don't know. That that's kind of the vibe that I was getting at the beginning, and then I was like, oh no, it's just it, it's just a regular relationship. And yeah, but I, I did want to ask, like, I because I recently saw earlier this week the Urez um, Hertz's the the junk shop, and that kind of has all these montages of like cut up images of women. And I, I know there's at least another Czech film. I can't, couldn't. I've been trying to remember what it was all week, but I feel like it's quite common in uh czechoslovakian films of this era that to have these kind of cut up images of women and like these sort of weird bodies and pieces kind of imagery and then this film yeah really really doubles down on it with the the cut up wife being put back together and then the mannequins that this woman is kind of pulling apart and putting back together i was wondering what if you guys is that something that struck you or what did you think that was because also at the beginning it opens with the the title sequence which is kind of like these you only can you can it's a close up shot of his head, but it's mostly blanked out, and the squares slowly kind of appear to reveal his face in pieces. I don't know. Thoughts? There's a huge amount of montage in these '60s track films where mm. they use uh, stills in with live action. That seems yeah. to be a common thing. Uh, Lipsky uses a lot in Formid as Renef Darling, where they use montage of comic book pictures of women and stuff in that, which is amazing. Um, but as for actual thoughts on it, by that point, I was just totally go with the flow. I didn't think I was having any <laughs> thoughts. I was just like, what is going to happen next? Because it does really just pull you into this other reality where yeah. anything can happen. You just have to completely let go. You know, by the time we're getting murders in the sea and stealing the fish and all that, it's just like, oh, my God, this is so amazing that you just, (laughs) I don't know. I reached a point where I wasn't even trying to analyze it at all. (laughs) Yeah, because I I also, I I also, like I saw Beauty and the, it hurts as Beauty and the Beast. And that opens with your animals being cut apart and slaughterhouse kind of stuff. And this has that as well, that, you know, you open with the, the, the woman who's cut apart and back together. And then you end up at his workplace, which is the butchers. So they're like unslicing open the animals and the guts are going back in and then they're unkilling them. And, uh, yeah, so it's like it's got these multiple kind of variations of bodies and pieces being put back together, which was there's definitely something going on there. And it reminded me of um, in Necromantic when Necromantic has the, the killing of the rabbit in the first half when the very, very extended sequence of, you know, skinning it and slicing it open and pulling it apart. And then at the end, as he kind of reaches his fulfillment, it, it plays that again but in reverse so it's putting the bunny back together and i was just like yeah i, I feel like um i feel like older uh, your butter guy had probably been uh watching some of this as well perhaps <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, I was just talking last week about the the cremator, which you mentioned before, and the opening credits to that are just body parts being piled on each other. Like, there's even a, a poster for it that is just a bunch of body parts just piled together. So I know that 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 was a theme for that as well. But yeah, I can't think of any other cutting apart women uh, films right off the bat. God, which is just so morbid, especially when he's out there in the street with the wife in the suitcase and the cop finally uh finds him and the way that the blood is going back into the suitcase (laughs) it is so good i actually have that on my notes blood in suitcase nothing about it just blood in suitcase i was obviously quite amazed by that (laughs) i've never been tempted to do that thing on the memento desk where you can watch the movie forward i would actually be tempted to take this movie and flip it and watch it the the right way round just to see how it plays because those scenes of you were talking about that bizarro dance that they do quote unquote when they're trying to hide the lover in the apartment i mean and even when he's uh, our main character is putting on his outfit to go out to be executed it feels like those were done so exaggerated with their motion because it just looks wonderful backwards just the way that the shirt's flipping from the guard's hand to his his hand and the way that he has to shake it out before he puts it on it is done really wildly with those motions so it just looks hilarious going back and even that he had all the feathers coming out of the bed when uh, he's attacking the wife and it just you know they're everywhere and they just start going back into the bed it just looks so great I mean generally Backwards motion is one of those, uh, you know, photographic tricks that always just looks so cheap and cheesy. But that's when it's done in a limited sense. But this thing, the whole movie being run backwards is brilliant. I'd love to know how they got that as well, because it looks, although it's exaggerated, it also looks natural. Because totally off topic or sort of on topic, though, I did a piece of Scream on the Fog a couple of months ago. And there was the whole thing about when she's on the top of the lighthouse, it had to be filmed backwards because of the fog. They couldn't get the fog to stay, so they had to film it backwards. And John Carpenter talked about blinking in it. So he had to have all the blinking stopped because if you blink and it's played backwards, it looks really off. So I was looking at that in this film to see if I could notice it, and no, it's not there. So I'd love to know technically how they choreographed it all. Because even though it is backwards, it looks it's not awkward in any way. So maybe it's uh, maybe it's only seventy minutes because they ran through so much film trying to get it right. They couldn't <laughs> yeah. afford it anymore because I, I I work in TV and you know where they they're just, it's all digital now, so they can just shoot hours and hours. But thinking of like oh, my God, you've got to shoot this on film and you've only got so much film and you've only got so much time. Just It almost gives me a panic attack just thinking about it. <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the blinking because having just watched Twin Peaks, The Return, everything that's done in that kind of other world, you know, with the, the man from another place and the giant, a.k.a. the fireman, there's a part where we're just on Andy's face and he's blinking in that. And you can tell that that was shot backwards because of the blinks. So you wouldn't think that you could notice something like that. But yeah, blinking in backwards motion is, yeah, it's very strange. No, I was specifically looking for it just because I 
I had it in my mind because I'd written that piece and I was trying to work out how he technically how he'd done it but you don't notice it so I wonder if that was we must have been aware of it and how they got around it because there's a lot in those scenes they're really concentrated as all of Lipsky's comedies there's always so much going on in a scene even the narratively speaking normal ones where it runs forward but always crowds of people running around and all the all the comedy comes from farce and, and these stupid situations where somebody's mistaken or trying to kill someone and you know there's all these people involved in the scene that are all doing different things so it's got that going on but backwards which must have been a flipping logistical nightmare especially some of the scenes are quite crowded as well like that dinner table scene there's like 20 odd people in it all you know in synchronicity so it's quite a marvel really from a technical aspect how when you think how is that choreographed how did they how much did they plan in advance or did they just go along and experiment you know but then they never had a lot of time to make these films so i just think it's absolutely marvelous in that respect just from a technical point of view and the fact that it ends up flawless what you see on the screen doesn't look awkward or strange or there's nothing's out of step so you accept it and that allows you to just get drawn in and think okay i think if you had had weird blinking or anything that was noticeable it would have thrown you out and the whole way it works is because it you get so absorbed I don't know about you guys, but I, I am sitting here trying to blink backwards at the moment, and it's not easy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Okay, yeah. Oh, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> well, how do they do the dialogue? Because the dialogue is 99% forwards, so I'm not sure how you even managed to do that. Because when our characters are speaking to each other, yes, the lines are read backwards. But I mean, they... The, the order of the lines are backwards, but they're saying them forwards. So, I mean, it's not like Michael J. Anderson where he learned how to speak backwards and then they would redub it so the mouths would match. I mean, this is, it's technically marvelous. Maybe it's like the, it was the old, the old like uh, Italian trick where you just get them to count to 20 or something and it's like you just keep doing that over and over again. Maybe it's something like that where they just figured out like a series of words that they could say that looked right and then dubbed it i mean it, it is a bit hard to tell when you as an is a, a non-czech speaker myself and and trying to read the subtitles and follow at the same time like it's it it, it, it kind of hides any like issues there might be so i can't really say definitively but I, I, maybe it's something like that because you got to remember the 60s and 70s the europe was the absolute like apex of dubbing uh skills and technology so it's the right time to be doing it. No, it does make sense because it again that the the lines don't look out of place as they're said. Mm. So, God, I we need a making of of this film. I want to know. Someone must know. Did Peter Haynes know? You know, I didn't talk to him about this. He doesn't seem to be that into Lipsky. So, <sighs> I mean, I think you know, talking to Jonathan Owen a couple of weeks ago. I don't think that Lipsky gets the respect that he necessarily deserves because he was making comedies and the, he doesn't. He, I don't think there's a serious film amongst them, but they are serious comedies. I mean, to, to make an experimental comedy like this takes a lot of guts, and that he always, to your point from earlier, Cat, he always was messing with the way that movies were made, the way that he would 
stop the the frame sometimes that we would get these still frames that we would get uh repeated motion when he's kissing his wife the the film goes backwards and forwards a few times and he's doing that in everything that this movie is shot in black and white but it is tinted though not as tinted as something like lemonade joe but again in lemonade joe you get little bits of fast motion you get still frames and he does that through everything he was always messing with the way that films were made i don't think he has one film especially in his like middle filmography where he's not messing with the way that films are made and doing something unexpected as far as you know it's not just shot reverse shot onto the next scene and everything done plain there's almost always a still frame someplace in there and if he's not messing with the color in his black and white films he's doing something so this guy to me was always you know messing with the form in a great way pushing the boundaries of it but again, since he's doing comedy, it's like, okay, whatever. I mean, he, I can't say he's the Jerry Lewis of Czechoslovakia, but, you know, he, he definitely was trying different things that we don't see over here in the West as, you know, being, you know, normal, uh, everyday uh, comedies. If he was working now, then it would he would be more classified amongst, like, video artists or VJs or things like that because it's almost like he's you know, working a mixing decks to, to like crash different styles and sounds and images and everything together. And it's, it's, it's such a, the film feels orchestrated more than like most films I can, I can think of. Like it's, it's just, you know, you, you almost picture him as a magician, you know, twirling a baton and juggling a rabbit and throwing this into the air and spinning something on his foot all at the same time. Obviously, I love the track New Wave, as do most people. But when people pick out a Lipsky film, the one that's heralded is Lemonade Joe, which, you know, it is a masterpiece. But they tend to, after the 70s, like after the New Wave and when everything got locked down, this period of the this, this sort of 70s and early 80s, for me, is one of my favourite periods of Czech film because you get a lot of Czech film, which is fantasy-based, you've got magical realism, you've got all these really madcap comedies that go into the macabre. They go Like, if you look at Lipsky's later films, or things like Straw Hat or um, Adele Hasn't Had a Dinner or Mysterious Castle and the Carpathians when he was working with Jan Svankmeyer and doing all these amazing animatronics and these weird inventions, you get... In those films, he created like this weird Edwardian steampunk gothic. And I think people tend to overlook these films because they're like, oh, well, they weren't Czech New Wave. They weren't satirical. They weren't saying anything about society. So it's almost like this, I wouldn't say snobbery, but it's kind of like a cut off that, you know, because Lipsky made like family comedies as well. Like, um, oh, what's the one about the bears and the clown? That one's bloody brilliant. These bears eat the circus. Six and they, bears and a clown, yeah. Oh, well. They, <laughs> you know, and it's just the inventiveness in these films. These like this whole kind of fantasy thing. And Uri Hertz was doing that in things like Beauty and the Beast. And, you know, at the more surreal end of the scale, we've got Valerie in A Week of Wonders. But for me, loves fairy tales and kind of fantasy cinema anyway. I bloody love these films. And they went on. Some of them had a big, like, um, influence on filmmakers like Neil Jordan when he made The Company of Wolves. Like, kind of when 
American and British fantasy film came along in the 80s and you had things like Dark Crystal and stuff. The Czechs were doing that a decade before. Mm, But filmmakers like Lipsky, they just don't get that credit at all. You know, it's kind of like, oh, well, Lemonade Joe was made in the new wave and, oh, and then he made all these other silly comedies. But they were fucking brilliant. They were just really and genuinely funny as well. And just masterpieces in editing and every single one of his films, the the style and the editing and the the amount of um, work that goes into the set design, the costumes, like these models and things like Mysterious Castle, he's got all these weird little inventions and stuff. They're just mind-blowing. So I don't get why he's not taken as seriously. As say someone like Svankmeyer, who was doing that in animation, I don't I don't understand what this, you know, why he tends to get left off, apart from Lemonade Joe, which was an out-and-out satire. It was critical of capitalism and communism. So that well, one tends it's... to get picked up because you could talk about it, quote-unquote, seriously, whereas the rest, you know, just just really just madcap comedies and you just they're just enjoyable films beautifully crafted really enjoyable films so it, it is i don't know sorry rant over <laughs> <laughs> I, but like they said working with the czech and slovak film festival and like we we, we always have a we're very dedicated to our retrospectives and we try to keep a reasonable balance between new and old but just because of being involved in and talking to lots of random people and and there have been quite a few times we're talking to Phantom people with just like, oh, the, the Czech and Slovaks still make films? I, I thought they just, you know, they had their new wave and then that was it. And it's like, you know, I think there's only one uh, Czech film being released in cinemas in Australia this year, um, The Teacher, and otherwise that's it. And there's no Slovak films being released. And it's just like, it, it, it's, it's for some reason that region is just, still kind of not given the notice and attention that it deserves. And I know that working with this festival, like we get a huge amount of support from the Czech and Slovak government and culture industries because they're like, yes, somebody out there is like wanting to put it into the world and share it. And it's just, I, I, yeah, I don't understand what it is because even there's, I, I feel like they, especially with their current films, like the the ratio of like good films that are like really, really good films that they're making right now uh, for like how many films come out, a significant chunk of them are great, like really quite great. And they're still, they feel connected to that history. Like I just saw um, uh, The Line, which is the Slovak-Ukrainian co-production from the the director of The Cleaner. His name escapes me right now. But that has these great moments of kind of magical realism built into it that they're just very small and they're very, like, subtle and they're not overdone, but they're so perfectly placed and you can feel that connection to the, the, the past and the history and it's still got that same weird, super black but super hilarious sense of humor even as the world's falling apart. And it's just... Yeah, it it, it it perplexes me as well as to why it's just like that that all the people can talk about is that sixties period and that's it. Yeah, and Lipsky, I mean, he made a lot of shorts before the nineteen sixties. He was a co-director of uh, a couple films. Um, I can't remember if Circus Jedi was a full feature or not, but really, when it came to the sixties. He didn't make that many, uh, didn't direct that many films in that 
golden new wave period. So I wonder if maybe that's why, but he gets left off. But yeah, the seventies were a golden time for this guy. I mean, he hits it right out of the park in 1970 with I killed Einstein gentlemen. Oh, I love that before. That's another one with the weird steampunk Edwardian kind of thing going on. I absolutely love that film. And the little inventions and stuff in it is so great. Within four years, 1970 and 1974, he made I Killed Einstein, Gentlemen, Four Murders Are Enough, Honey, Straw Hat, Six Bears and a Clown, Three Men Traveling, and Joaquin Put in the Machine. And all of those are terrific. Straw Hat's fabulous. It is amazing. I was so happy when I was doing research on uh, uh, Wells a few years ago, and I heard that he had done a version of The Straw Hat, and I was like, oh, The Straw Hat, I wonder if that's the same as the the Lipsky film, and I'm (laughs) glad that I was able to say that. Oh, it's so good. And I didn't realize that that was such a, a, a staple of comedies, but the way that he did it was just terrific. My God, it is so good. It is amazing. See, and and also in that period, you've got all this stuff. I think in order to survive that whole regime, people had to make more family friendly or comedy or kind of go into the main or the Czech version of mainstream. Uh, but in that period, you have so much invention. You know, with Uri Hertz was another filmmaker who kind of survived that period, and so and fairy tales. There's a lot of fairy tales, and it kind of links into they didn't really make horror films the checks but they had a lot of films that introduced horror into them just as part of this whole macabre thing so the mixing up of genres and the invention in that period like you said the little mermaid their vision of the little mermaid is so so dark compared to like say the disney one and beautiful really beautiful to look at but really sad as well and they were doing things like three wishes for cinderella and all these like fairy tales which oh it it was just such an amazing period um second run have kind of started to dabble in czech fantasy so i'm hoping you know baron munchausen's done quite well and three wishes for cinderella did quite well i think at christmas so i'm hoping that kind of creates a market for them to look at doing more of these because i know from speaking to the guys who work there they want to it's just whether the market's there i guess so you know i'd love to see them restored because they're such beautiful films they deserve to be seen properly Mm, absolutely the, the, the visual styling is just phenomenal like I, I i don't think i've seen a czech film from the 60s and 70s that looks they only look rough because of the quality of the prints otherwise they you just freeze them at any moment and you've got a work of art right there I, but I, I wonder talking about the that sort of the concentration on those sort of bringing those fairy tales and the sort of fantasy and kind of things like, i wonder if it was similar to what was happening in uh japan in the post-war period where part of the reason why they made so many samurai films was that they could, they, there wasn't any issues with that. You know, there was no possibility or in the censor's eyes that you were commenting on the government or the, the situation or the Americans or anything like that. So they kind of retreated to the past because it could uh, appear at least on the surface to be less controversial. Um, I think there definitely was that going on, but then you do get films that are subversive, like Valerie in A Week of Wonders, where they would, 
kind of sneak these things in. I don't think Lipsky was ever doing that, though. I think he just loved doing what he did, and he was just totally into the fantasy thing. But if they did, if they wanted to make films, they had to be accepted because it was all government controlled, and anything that was seen as slightly subversive or critical of the system was out. And you could be, your career could end if they didn't like what you were doing they would just say you're not making any more films and they'd kick you out and that would be it it would be to do something subversive that was openly subversive was career suicide so i guess they had to be very careful about what they were doing uh, because of after the prague spring when everything got shut down and loads of filmmakers were just cast out so, I mean, we talked about that on the case of the rookie hangman episode. So, you know, it was a it was a dangerous time for Czech filmmakers in that anything could be interpreted as against the state, even if it wasn't. Yeah. So yeah, well, you, you look at like, I don't know, Poland is a different country, but similar like political system. You look what happened to Zolovsky and, uh, and, you know, on a silver globe or it's just like, nope, it's just. Well, Brovchek as well. And Brovchek was making, talking of these weird fantasy films, it was earlier films like um, Island of Goatu and things Mm. like that. Similar sort of thing to that whole madcap, very dark, but very dark sort of Czech tradition. So I guess it is a folklore tradition. And folklore is for the Czechoslovak cultural identity, which had been suppressed so much because of the Hungarian rule. You know, the way they kept their language going was through puppet theatre and through fairy tales and through folk tales. And so they hold this real special significance for the cultural identity there, I guess. So in a way, it was it became like a national thing, you know, a national pride is one of the ways they asserted that was through their use of fairy tales. It, You know, we enjoy fairy tales in the West but they're not so much part of our culture as they are in Czechoslovakian history, where they became, you know, the la- for a large period, the last sort of bastion of their cultural identity was kept in the mm. way those stories were told. So they are very significant to the culture. And I don't know if that somehow played into it or was encouraged, you know, because they had all these, when the communists come along, these farming co-op films and, hey, we love... Czechoslovakia we love our country we love our land so I don't know if they were maybe even encouraged to reconnect with that as a national thing but it's interesting that it's the fairy tales to them and folklore and fantasy and magical realism have a different significance definitely than they do to us all right guys we're going to take a break and we'll be back right after these brief messages well, Eric, would you say that we're just two dudes who love talking about movies over at the Culture Cast? I mean, yeah, I don't know if dudes is the correct nomenclature, though. <laughs> dudes, bros. Okay, what about movie nerds? No, okay, uh, dudes is fine. Not nerds. Anything but movie nerds. Well, over here at the Culture Cast, we talk about new movies, overlooked gems, classics, and some films that cause us to question our sanity twice a week. Yeah, Hot to Trot comes to mind for sure. Yeah, Hot to Trot was a real mess. So make sure to check out the Culture Cast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and wherever you get your podcasts. 
wife Jessica, I have an idea. What's that, husband Dustin? As you know, we love movies. Yes, dear, I know. But we also love podcasts. I'm aware, my love. And then there's this other part of us that really loves movie commentary tracks. Get to the point, sweetheart. Well, if we made a movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program, it would certainly be the best married couple movie podcast slash commentary track hybrid audio program on the internet, right? Without doubt. But whatever would we call it? We are the Popcorn Poops. Popcorn Poops is a weekly podcast hosted by married couple Dustin and Jessica Kramer. That's us. Each week we choose a movie based on a monthly theme and then we sit down and record a syncable commentary track as we watch the movie. But what makes Popcorn Poops special is that you don't have to sync up our podcast to enjoy the show, so you can listen to us like you would any other standalone podcast. On our show, we like to talk about theory, story structure, genre conventions, and trivia with a healthy dose of dick jokes. Gotta have the dick jokes. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Music. Like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter and Instagram for frequent updates about the show, including our weekly movie still identification game. Visit us on the web at popcornpoops.com. We'll be waiting for you, and not in a creepy way. Okay, kind of a creepy way. Yeah, okay, fair warning. How to continue a television series after a major actor has left the cast. Part 4, The Robin of Sherwood Method. Remove the character from the scripts and replace him with an entirely similar character. Create a highly elaborate scenario that puts the new character into the same situation as the original. The transition is completed when the replacement character adopts the same name as his predecessor. For more about British science fiction television, listen to the British Invaders podcast at www.britishinvaders.com. This is Adam Spiegelman from the Cult Movie Podcast, Proudly Resents. And you listen to my favorite movie podcast, The Projection Booth. I know. It's messed up, right? All right, we are back, and we are talking about Happy End. And specifically, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, the co-writer of Happy End, Milos Mosarek, who uh, we've already mentioned a lot of the titles that he has worked on, because he and Lipsky worked together on quite a few things, like Four Murders Are Enough, Darling, uh, See How to Drown, Dr. Marisek, the lawyer. So uh, even all the way back to uh, Man in Another Galaxy, or what was it, Man from the Galaxy, Man from the Future. I know it's got a few different translations. He worked also a lot with Vaclav Vorlicek as well. And some of those movies are just, those are classics as well. Who Wants to Kill Jesse? You Are a Widow, Sir. Tomorrow I'll Wake Myself, actually, Tomorrow I'll Wake Myself uh, Up and Scull Myself with Tea. Was that Vorselec as well? Do you know, I don't know, and I love that film as well for the, if anyone hasn't seen it, just check out the the beginning credits and you'll want to sit and watch the whole thing because it's basically got a disco montage of Hitler. It's a whole, like, twin brother gets mistaken for other twin brother who's choked on a piece of bread and then goes time-travelling to kill Hitler. Uh, all of his comedies seem to be killing someone. There was Jindrik Pollack. So good, that film, and absolutely ridiculous, but so funny at the same time. But they're, they're, again, so so morbid as well. Tomorrow I'll wake up and scald myself with tea. That, as a double feature with I Killed Einstein, gentlemen, would be fantastic. These time oh, travel comedies. Oh, I Killed Einstein to... is so good. <laughs> I just said All the that women was... with their beards. I oh. <laughs> 
It definitely, and again, trying to kill Einstein. They're just always trying to kill someone in these comedies <laughs> or in his comedies. But it always made for great farce because you'd always get people hiding in cupboards or being mistaken for someone else or uh, pretending they were doing something else and all these ridiculous scenes of people walking in and out of rooms and all mistaken identity or having to hide things. And so lots of physical comedy and lots of energy in them. But they do fit in with the Lipsky films that he did with Lipsky. So you see those same themes again in the films he did with him. So it's so good though. So, so good. And then it's always like some kind of romance that happens as well within amongst this weird murder plot. Next year, I definitely need to cover a four Lecek film because he was another one who just made amazing stuff. And luckily, well, I think for a little while his stuff was coming out on DVD. I remember who wants to kill Jesse and uh, what would you say to some spinach? I think was pretty easy to find for a little bit. Mo- Moserek also worked on uh, Dushan Vukovic's uh, visitors from the Arcana galaxy, which I remember liking a lot. I haven't seen that one. I haven't seen that one. It was uh, this whole idea of a science fiction writer who can think things and then they come true and he manages to bring these aliens to earth. So yeah, it's, it's good. Um, but yeah, kind of that that later period. But you know, like we said, these guys were making these movies up into the. I mean, the writer uh, he was making stuff all the way up until he passed away in the early two thousands. The guy has over a hundred credits to his name. He still had stuff being done. Hell, last year, and then obviously. Uh, Little Witch on a Broomstick was one that he had helped write, and that is still being remade. You know, 2011, there was a version of that. So, and then Wildflowers, which was the last one I... I really like Wildflowers. Is that the one with the... Um... Yeah, I really like that one. Did he write that? Yeah, he wrote that as well. I didn't know that. I really like that one. That's a really good kind of Czech folklore, folk horror kind of thing film. Apparently, the 2011 version, it's actually a sequel. I'm just looking at it here. It's Little Witch on a Broomstick 2011, sequel to a Czech cult fantasy comedy, and it's directed by Vaclav Volacek as well. I love the original Girl on a Broomstick. (laughs) That was the one I was talking about earlier where you've got this weird Hogwarts thing going on and this witch comes down to earth and wants to be human or mortal and it's just crazy. But I've never seen the kind of sequel remake. I knew about it, but I don't know. The first one's so special, I wouldn't want to ruin it. Vaklov's like, he's 87 and he's got another film announced and he made Little Witch on a Broomstick in 2011, so he was 81 when he made that. <laughs> Clint Eastwood eats your heart out. <laughs> yeah, but Svankmeyer's still making films and Uri Hertz is still making films and they're both in their well into their 80s. So it's great you see these guys have such long careers, you know, difficult to talk about because they all made like 100 films and a lot of them aren't you know you can't even find them so it's brilliant because i think that's why i know you were saying earlier ben about how traditions continued but um i know a young czech filmmaker robin who's working on who's just done a a short based on uh, stephen king we are the door is it well we are the doorway and he worked with uri hertz and worked with other people because they're still in the industry they are acting as mentors for these younger filmmakers which is great because tradition is continuing that way. Mm, so, 
yeah, it's because they're still part, very much part of the industry. That era of them hasn't really stopped. Masarek, he passed away in 2002. So some of these uh, screenplays, it looks like, are remakes of what he had done or based on characters that he had put uh, put together. So Wildflowers, Max Sally and the Magic Phone, those are probably some of the last ones that he worked on directly. But, I mean, the guy, just to... to uh, isolate one year of his filmography that he could do the girl on the broomstick six bears and a clown and what and straw hat all in one year all in 1972 plus more he had done enough like with what would you say to some spinach and tomorrow i'll wake myself up and uh, tomorrow i'll wake up and scald myself with tea and on a few other films as well, a few other shorts, just in 1977, just those two films alone, what would you say to some spinach and scald myself with tea? Those are, are brilliant, and those are enough for anybody else to, they should be happy that those two films were, uh, that they were able to create those two films. And he made so many movies over the years, it's just amazing that he was such a prolific writer and of such great comedy. Even though they featured these similar plots, the, the, all these kind of madcap scenarios, they never ever felt tired. Each one had like completely different ideas, although it was like a similar structure of these same tropes, I guess, that they'd use, mistaken identity, someone being killed or trying to kill someone, they'd use these. But the actual jokes never felt tired and the actual comedy that he created so and they were so dense and carefully crafted and well timed and everything that you just think the rate that he worked at to you know solve all these logistical problems and you know like we were talking about with the dialogue writing it backwards and all this every single one of his comedies i've seen have got that attention to detail but the rate that he worked at the man was a fucking genius really we talked a little bit that his films didn't so much have that kind of commentary on on the period, but I, I, that the kind of feeling of the overall arc of the film is like that he's he's being born and he feels like life should be good and he gets the wife and all these things, but every single time he thinks he feels like it's coming together, there's just more and more difficulty piled into his way. And it's just this constant stream of just like, oh, and then there was this, and then there was that, and there was this. And it just like, it reminded me a bit, it just slightly that the shop on Main Street kind of has a little bit of a similar kind of thing where it's like, oh, life will be good because I've got this. Oh, no, actually, it's not good because of this. Oh, but this is the, oh, no, but then there's this. <laughs> and, oh, and it's very much feels in tune with that kind of like, well, you know, the, the, the political, the social and political structure of the time is that, everything is being changed and the rules are getting rewritten and you don't, you know, what you, you thought would be coming, be normal tomorrow is now backwards. And I feel very much that it, it may not have been at the forefront of the construction of the narrative, but it feels very infused by that disruptive time period and the, the loss of traditions and the loss of past. Yeah, even though this stuff is quote-unquote comedy, I still seem to find subversive elements. I mean, of course, we talked about the way that he's critiquing the ministers and generals, and there were those sly jokes, I think, through a lot of his stuff, though it did get a little safer uh, as we went along, but still, he managed to slide the knife in a little bit uh, with, with every single movie. There were always little critiques about society, which 
they might not have been as pointed as, say, the cremator, but <laughs> but they definitely had some weight. To he know. definitely it, it, had this thing about he definitely had this thing about social conventions as well. It's definitely like Lemonade Joe and this one are more subversive, but they were prior to the Prague Spring. But afterwards, when he just went into pure fantasy territory, one of his main things that he loved to have a pop out was social conventions and public gatherings of people. He seemed to find a lot of humour in those situations with people acting ridiculously or people being bad-mannered. And he seemed to be having a poke all the time at kind of society's rules or snobbery and that kind of thing. So he was very cheeky, I think. He was a cheeky little filmmaker. Yeah, and and if you're in like an incredibly grim period in social history, political history, like being able to laugh at that, just like we closely observed trains. It's like I, I only saw that recently and got to the end and sort of went, oh, I, I actually think that was more subversive than I even realised because so much of it is just in the being able to laugh at this, to be able to to just let go of like the the, the terribleness of what is happening and find humor in it it completely deflates the 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 terribleness and the nightmarishness of the situations yeah there's a reason why even as our main character in that film has been blown to bits his buddy is laughing at the end of that movie yeah all right we're going to take another break and play a preview for next week's show Yeah, this is Peter Lorre speaking. I couldn't resist the temptation to call you. I just read of your new picture that you're to make. Oh, that's very nice of you. Thanks for your interest. Oh, I thought you were magnificent in M. And just the other night I saw your new picture, The Man Who Too Much. What character are you going to play in? Oh, it's the most unusual story. You know, it's a great love drama. I am to be a half-mad scientist. I, a poor peasant have conquered science. Why can't I conquer love? (laughs) He shall be shut up when it's I who am mad. (laughs) But nobody knows that. Each man kills the thing he loves. That's right. We'll be back next week with a discussion of Mad Love. Until then, I want to thank this week's co-hosts, Ben and Kat. Ben, what is the latest with you, sir? Well, as I said, we're in the middle of the Czech and Slovak Film Festival in Melbourne, Australia at the moment. It's our fifth year, and it's going fantastically well. Um, we've got a 
just we're doing a Euras Hertz uh, retrospective. And we've, our theme this year is Neighbours, so we've got a Hungarian retrospective of the, the Fabri Zoltan films and a whole bunch of like brand new ones. I said The Line, which is fresh from Kalaviveri. Of course, unfortunately, we are in the middle of it, but we're going to Canberra next month, so I'm completely swamped in Czech and Slovak films and working on the new Romper Stomper TV series by night, which is keeping me very busy and overloaded with Nazis. (laughs) (laughs) But such is life in the 21st century, apparently. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I've been been writing a little bit for the Czech and Slovak blog, so that's uh, if you wanted to see some of my writing, you can go to uh, www.casfa.com.au. That's C A S. FFA.com.au. I wrote a piece on the shop on Main Street, and I'll hopefully be writing a few more pieces over the next couple of months. So, yeah, very busy. <laughs> and Kat, what's keeping you busy these days? Oh, wow, it's only been a couple of weeks since we last spoke, so not not much more has happened apart from I'm desperately trying to finish my Daughters of Darkness book by the end of the month. My publisher is constantly on email going chop, 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 come on. So that'll be out beginning of 2018, which is on Harry Kummel's 1971 film as part of the Devil's Advocate series. And we've just aired our first ever episode of a new podcast I'm doing with the wonderful Heather Drain, who's uh, always on the projection 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 booth. Uh, and we've just done part one on the, the films of Radley Metzger. And part two should air the beginning of October, which is on these hardcore films, so it's very, very rude. Probably the <laughs> rudest I've ever heard Heather Drain. She's usually quite polite. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, there's that. And pre-order, please, the next upcoming issue of Diabolique magazine, which is on witchcraft, fairy tales and folk horror, which is coming any day now. Awesome. Well, I will be sure to link to all that stuff over at the Projection Booth website, projection-booth.com, where you can find out more also about today's episode. Uh, I think we've given everybody listening just a ton of movies they should be checking out. I almost feel like this is uh, one of those pure cinema podcasts where it's just like, here's the 10 films that you need to see right now. So, yeah, go out and check out Happy End. Make sure you see Girl on a Broomstick. Tomorrow I'll wake up and scald myself with tea. There's so many movies that really deserve a lot more attention that we've talked about this episode. So uh, I'll try to link to as many of those as I can at the website. While you're at the website, you'll also find links over to iTunes where you can rate and review the show and over to our Patreon where you can make a donation to the show. Donors get early access to every episode as long as I'm not running late and as long as I can post these episodes while I'm in Shanghai, which is when this episode is supposed to drop, that's where I'll be. So wish me luck on that. Every donation and every rating we get helps the projection booth take over the world.
burning the books. The church is in ruins. The priests hang on hooks. The radio's on ice. The telly's been banned. The army's in power. enjoy this show and want more people to know about it head on over to itunes leave a comment and rate it five stars make sure you like and share us on facebook and don't forget to follow us on twitter just search for christopher media thank you in advance for supporting christopher media by clicking on the paypal button and by clicking through to all the sponsors who support christophermedia.net most importantly we would like to take the time to extend an extra special thanks to you christopher media could not exist without your support thank you for visiting christophermedia.net and thank you for listening Christopher Media, let's make some noise.